1: Welcome to Episode 4 of the Practice of Learning Teams. In this episode, the three authors of the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, Brent Sutton, Glennis McCarthy and Brent Robinson, will conduct a mini-learning team based on your submissions in the Learning Journal. We will discuss and reflect on some of the community challenges to embed learning teams and explore the what, the how and the why. In today's Mini Learning Team, we will explore the topic about learning styles and your learning journal as a learning team's facilitator. We start the episode by exploring the learning preference for the great entrepreneur Elon Musk. Glynis McCarthy will read to us an article from the Entrepreneur's Handbook called Elon Musk's Two Rules for Learning Anything Faster. The link to this article will be included in our show notes. Please sit back and listen to the dulcet tones of Glynis McCarthy.
0: He and his companies have shifted entire industries, including the transportation sector, the energy sector and the space sector. He recently announced at a press conference that his plans for his biotech company, Neuralink, are progressing progressing quite nicely, hinting at another sector which his hands will likely shift in the coming years. Yes, Musk is a -a once-in-a-lifetime genius, likely on the same levels as Nikola Tesla, Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton. He has a different way of viewing problems than the average entrepreneur. Of course, he reads hundreds of books. He works with top-level thinkers. He has astronomical levels of funding to put towards his every whim. But that's not what makes him a great learner. His learning methods aren't that regal. In fact, he has two rules for how to learn anything faster that can be implemented by anyone at any time, including you. You too can be a rocket scientist if you wanted. This is how. Identify the different parts of the tree. When it comes to learning, Musk is quick to note that he believes that most people can learn more than they currently know. When it comes to the average entrepreneur, Musk claims that they don't often break through their perceived limits and try to learn beyond their current capacity. Or as he goes on to clarify, they don't know how to outline their information in a way that leads to further further revelation. In a conversation on Reddit, Musk discussed his approach to learning and the structure that he uses as such. One bit of advice... It's important to view knowledge as a sort of semantic tree. Make sure you understand the fundamental principles, i.e. the trunk and the big branches, before you get into the leaves and details, or there's nothing for them to hang on to. From this, we can begin to see Elon Musk's first rule of learning. Rule number one, make sure you're building a tree of knowledge. What does this mean for you practically? It helps a common entrepreneur understand that not everything is weighed with equal gravitas or importance. When it comes to learning, there's a difference between the material that ends up hanging from a branch and the material that hangs up the base of the trunk of your tree. It's a periphery versus a central. Musk is a master of understanding what is at the core of each of these sectors his entrepreneurial ventures sit in. He starts there, ensuring that the best possible grasp on the trunk material before moving off into the minutiae of the branches and the leaves. Many of us do the opposite. We load up on the periphery facts while never really fully understanding how or why they connect back to the trunk. This outward facing and method leaves many of our brains overcrowded with misidentified and ultimately unimportant knowledge. That's not learning, it's cramming. The results of our efforts is a tree with a toothpick trunk and an overload of teeming branches threatening to snap off as we try to cram one more idea or thought within our brains. If you want to learn anything faster, you need to start with the materials that make up the trunk. It might be a tad slower at the onset, but without a sturdy trunk, you won't have the base to support any additional learning and skill. Connections powering your learning. The brilliance of Elon Musk's learning strategy isn't necessarily in his ability to understand core central concepts. Many entrepreneurs over the generations have had solid grasps on core tenets and principles. Musk's brilliance is found in his second rule of learning, which underlies his ability to build vast and towering trees of intellect across multiple sectors. Rule number two. You can't remember what you can't connect. This is how Musk was able to span sectors and shift entire industries seemingly overnight. He started with solid roots and dense trunks, and then as he began to grow his knowledge upward, he began connecting branches and leaves together with other branches and leaves from other trees. Musk never learns a piece of information at random. Everything he takes, he connects back to some deeper, more solid base. Most learners today are not master gardeners, but stick collectors. We walk around life, picking up tidbits here and there, until our arms are full of sticks. Once we have a good bunch of sticks, we do what comes naturally. Whenever there is a pile of sticks lying around, we burn them. We think the size of our fire equals the size of our learning. But we are slow to realise that Elon Musk has built his entire learning structure On that, fires burns out. Musk plants trees in rich soil that grow to be thick and abundant centres of learning. You can do the same. You just need to embrace his two rules. Build the trunk first, then work tirelessly on making connections. Like any new system, it might might take you a while to get the hang of it. You might actually feel like you're learning slower than you did previously. That's okay. What you're actually doing is building the foundation for exponential growth. Henry Ford once said, If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. If you want to learn anything faster, try Elon Musk approach, but be warned. You may end up becoming a rocket scientist far faster than you previously thought possible.
1: Thanks, Glennis, for reading that lovely article from the uh, Entrepreneur's Handbook. Let's start the conversation by asking this question of my fellow colleagues. If 100 people uh, learnt the Elon Musk way, would they all have the same outcome? What do you think about that, Brent Robinson?
2: Um, not at all. I mean, people, individuals, have totally different ways of, of learning. I mean, I think what... We're seeing there is that what Elon's trying to do is build some context about what he's trying to learn and develop that, a, a good context around that, and before he gets to the minutia, but he builds outwardly from the base. You know, so you know, I like the idea that this is where he's going, but people have different ways of coming at it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Brent. Um, I think that you know, as individuals, we've all got different uh, preferred learning styles. You know, some people want to know that minutiae. Other people want to just get the hands straight in and kind of get dirty. Um, other people want to know kind of the bigger frame. Uh, it, look, I think um, what you have to be thinking about is that individuals are all unique. So when you're doing training, particularly when you're doing training, that training has to cross and touch all of those different people that you have in your training room.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think that's, you know, that's a really important point in that you will, in that room... You know if you're doing running a learning team, you're going to have a range of different skills and the way you know the way that people perceive information, receive information and want to view information. Some will be visual, some will want to hear the story, you know as they build their own context around it. I think that's going to be really important that you, we, that people take that into account when they're doing those type of things.
1: So what I'm basically hearing is that uh, the the closest I'll get to being an Elon Musk if i if I can go and pick up a Tesla brochure, is that what we're basically saying?
2: Possibly, but I always thought you know you're you're a rocket scientist, Brent. So I think uh, you've got plenty of potential to get a rocket up there and moving along. But it's it, you know I like the I like these articles, and it's a it's a great article and a, a very thin snapshot of what um, possibly goes on. But you know I'm sure Elon's also learning from failure as well. He's had some you know interesting. Um, experiments that haven't worked, you know, with rockets and with car windows. And, you know, for me personally, I find that, you know, failure is a great teacher sometimes. And as we're moving forward, you can pick up on those things and keep on on rocking.
0: I think there's two things that we could take from that article, though. The first one is about building core knowledge. I think for learning to take place, actually people do need to build some knowledge. That knowledge has to align with a person's schema. And what I mean by that is that it has to align with what they currently know. If we provide something that's completely at odds with what people know and what they understand, um, particularly with, with in relation to their perspective in the world, actually that will rub up against it unless we can provide a really big impetus for that person to make a shift. So I think the first thing in that article is about building core knowledge, and I, I totally agree with that. And the other part to that is that what we need to do is make connections. And sometimes when we're in the early phases of learning, we're not quite sure where those connections lie. So we really rely on the trainer or the facilitator to make those connections overt for us and for for us to see how they might sit alongside or potentially to disrupt our current schema. So I think that in that, you know, that what um, Elon Musk is doing is he's really got to the core of what makes good training Um, or, or, or the other side of it, good learning. And that's about building core knowledge and about making connections.
1: And, of course, he's looking at that from an individual point of view.
0: Oh, he's looking at it from the receiver end, that's yeah. right. And we can look at it from both sides. You know, I think that if you're looking at it from the receiving end, that's about your experience as a learner. And all learners are quite unique. You know, we we sort of follow sort of certain patterns. Some of us, as I said, like things, we want to see what it looks like. We want to hear what it looks like. We value, We might value stories to see how it might be applied. We might want to put our hands to it but we also need to think about it from the point of view of when you're delivering that learning. Do
2: you think there's a a difference when you're starting out and you're trying to build information about a particular thing and you're building from the bottom up and, you know, the, the trunk and the branches and you've got that time to do it versus when you're in the thick of it and you're trying, to, you know, you're trying to understand what's going on, and you're trying to learn in that current situation, do you think there's a difference about how that happens?
0: Yeah, most definitely, and particularly in a workplace. You know, we often send our people off um, so that they can go and learn something, but they often learn it in um, complete isolation to where they actually go and do whatever it is that they're learning. Um, yeah. And I think often then we don't get the yield from that learning, I think there's a lot to be said for learning something while you're doing it, but often what it requires is somebody to facilitate those connections.
2: So does that does that become practice? Is that or the opportunity to use it and embed it at that point? Is that, you know and that would be the difference between what Elon's doing and, and what people are doing in within a business or an organisation? That when you've got that training, there needs to be a point that you can apply it to a current situation.
0: I think that what Elon is talking about is it's, it's a hone skill for him. Yeah. So he is doing it very consciously. Um, I think of a lot of people that I work alongside that they haven't necessarily developed that skill set. And so one of the things of really good learning um, is, is learning how to learn. And it's learning about what works for you from a learning context and learning how to develop that core knowledge, um, but to make those connections.
2: And obviously he's built this skill up over a, a period of time through, you know, university and then coming into the business world. So, you know, he's, he's really got to hone how that works for him and how he gathers knowledge and then turns it into something that he can build on. You know, and I don't think everybody's had that same opportunity quite often. So, you know, back to Brent's original question, if a hundred people read this article, would they all turn out to be Elon Musk? And the answer's no, really, isn't it?
0: But I'd like to say that there's a potential.
1: Okay. Yep. But that potential is going to be uh, is going to be influenced by their journey.
0: Most definitely it's going to be influenced by lots of different things. Yep. Um, you know, by the, definitely by their journey, by their, the schooling that they may have had previously, the learning, the, the, the training that they may have received previously, um, how many opportunities they have to practice the skill, um, what is their, their aptitude towards applying the skill. There's going to be lots of different factors that will sit in there. And so certainly some people will be able to gain mastery of skill, but also I think that other people may be able to gain emergence of skill, but it will sit along a continuum.
1: So, you know, when we think about um, traditional training, classroom training, has that become a bit of a blunt instrument?
0: I think it is, definitely. I think often um, classroom training has got more to do with the needs and wants of the facilitator or the trainer and less to do with the needs and wants of the participants.
1: And in our new world um, where people are now having to do more uh, online facilitated learning, does that make it even harder?
0: Most
2: definitely. Oh, yeah, I, I think it's much, much harder. You don't, you don't get that interaction. You don't get that feedback from the class. I think you're missing, you know, to uh, quote an Australian movie, you're missing the vibe quite often. I, I'm certainly finding that with some of the stuff that we're doing um, online, it's, you know, you've got to concentrate and you're doing it in smaller chunks.
0: And I think that pushes the load back onto the learner. I think then the learner is having to synthesise a lot of information. If that information isn't on point, if it isn't really relevant for them, then it's much harder for them to think beyond the words that are being used, beyond the content that's being put forward, and think about how it applies in their context. So if somebody has language issues or literacy issues... If the information is just too broad, if it it jars with their existing schema, I think there's a lot of things that act as barriers when we're looking at particularly online learning.
1: So if we think about the context um, from the perspective of a learning teams Mm -hmm. facilitator, um, what are some of the sort of conversations we have? I mean, in the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, we we talk about um, their learning journey as being sort of an awakening, it's an awareness over time and they move through a series of states and and we've sort of spoken about those states as being that that a person can initially start with being what we call unconsciously incompetent, meaning that they don't know what they don't know. That as they gain that um, understanding, that deeper knowledge, they can can suddenly now become more uh, consciously incompetent, meaning they know what they should be doing, but they realise they're not doing it as well as they should be. And then they can evolve to that sort of conscious competency where they can feel comfortable in their role and they can further deepen their practice. And then at the very end, they become unconsciously competent, meaning that they're not having to stretch themselves to perform that. That it, that it just becomes that. I think you use the word innate skill, Glynis. That mm-hmm. It just becomes natural for them on that.
0: Absolutely, but that's all based on the premise that we've identified what does good look like to begin with, right from the onset. And I think often in traditional training, actually we don't spend enough time doing that. We don't actually think about the training from the needs of the audience. So we haven't thought about their current state of knowledge. We haven't thought about how they might apply this information And we haven't necessarily put enough thought into, are we providing them with enough of that core knowledge and making those connections really overt?
1: So in which case, and if that made it difficult with in-class training, where it then relied on the ability of the trainer to be able to reach those people, then surely it must make it even more difficult when it comes to um, the sort of online facilitated training.
0: I definitely think it has its challenges.
2: I mean, it's really getting, as the trainer, it's really getting that feedback that, you know, if you're in the classroom setting and you're all together in a room, you can, you know, you're, you can read face, facial expressions or where people are at or if they're engaged or not engaged and help engage them. But when you've got 10 or 15 people on a on a Zoom call, it's much, much harder. You know, you're going to need a you're going to need a mediator that's going to have to help you at the side to try and really make that more effective.
0: And I think also when you're in a, in a kind of an e-learning space, that the person who's the recipient of learning they have to move from being a passive learner to an active learner, and they need to be the active learner throughout and continue on past the learning that's taken place. And actually, again, I think that puts a really big load onto lots of the people that we that we work with that we train. Uh, that often people need the need space in which to make sense of some new piece of learning, you know, to build their, their current um, core knowledge. And certainly they need quite a bit of support at times to build those connections. And I just think that it's a flat medium when we're trying to do it online. Like you say, Brent, you can't see people's facial experience. You, you can't um, easily get people to do those sort of in-depth conversations about what will this new knowledge impact in terms of their practice. How will they change practice? So it, it just becomes more abstract. Now, for some learners, that's not going to be a problem. Yeah, there'll be no problem whatsoever. But there will be many people that will struggle with that. Particularly if their exposure to training in particular is that more traditional top-down model where somebody simply tells you, you take it, you integrate it, you synthesise that with your existing knowledge, and then you try and apply it. But we're putting a big load on people when we're asking them to do that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's It's going to be an interesting space, and you know, I think it's you know early days and we've been forced into it in a very, very short amount of time. And we're having to adapt very, very quickly. And I think, you know, we talked about before, failure. I think we're going to have some failures there with some of this and as we have to, you know, re-engineer it to make it work. It's going to be interesting to watch.
1: And I think one of the things that we have identified in our own, our, our own journey, particularly in this uh, new normal that we're in, that basically we have to... We, we have to change. We, we have to do things differently from what we used to do.
0: Absolutely. And we, I think we, it comes down to how important is it? So if we're just trying to build general core knowledge, probably it doesn't matter so much. But if we're trying to build core critical knowledge, then we need to make sure that we are aware of the needs of the audience and tailor our training accordingly.
1: So going back to it, um, uh, if we go back to the whole learning teams uh, conversation about wanting people to be good facilitators, that really is going to be more than just core knowledge.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. But that isn't it isn't the other thing that we're you know that we're seeing as well is that with some of this training that we see being done is that nobody's assessing where people are when they walk into the room or start the training, so you don't know where that. Level is sitting at, and I think that's really important as we move forward. That this training becomes more tailored, so the learning outcome is improved along the way. I think that's going to be one of the changes that we're going to go, we're going to see that we need to understand where people are at on that journey.
1: I agree, and I think we've identified uh, six uh, key tips for this to happen, and and the first one is the fact that the person who wants to become that facilitator. They, they need to know what does good look like. That's tip one. They need to know what, what does good facilitation look like. Tip two, they need to know where they are currently at. In other words, what is their current state of knowledge? Then the third part is they need to know um, where do I need to be? And once they understand where I need to be, then the fourth one is how will I get there? And most importantly, What support will I need to be successful? And then lastly, how do I share my successes and failures to learn and improve? I think it's really important that we share both the upside and the downside on our learning journey because it's that reflective component. So is it worthwhile exploring any of those six tips? Right. I think
2: they're um, all important. You know, the one... I don't know whether you want to start at the beginning or, or at the back, but you know one of the things that I'm finding with some of the work we're doing is that when I explain one of my failures, it actually helps people go well, Yeah, cool. It's okay to fail. I don't have a problem with that, and it sort of helps level the room sometimes, and the people that you are talking to. You know, so I you know I always use that as a as a method when I'm having these type of conversations with people.
1: And do you see some irony sometimes? given that we're supposed to be promoting that failure is normal, that in learning <laughs> we should accept it as well, that failure is okay. I,
2: that's what I like.
1: Yeah, that our journey, our journey won't be um, all about um, success. There will be some things, and it's that, that ability. And I think, Glennis, I think one of the things that we've focused a lot on is about that ability to reflect.
0: I think we always have to remember that we're all learners. So uh, whether we are a participant in a learning team for the first time or we've participated in many of them, we're still learning. And whether we're the, the, um, the facilitator of a learning team, we are still learning. And so I think that we always need to be thinking about what knowledge do we bring to the table? So if I'm talking about learning teams, what knowledge as a facilitator do I bring to the table about learning teams, about how do I develop the problem identification before I move into problem solution? How do I keep people on track? How do I make those linkages for people really overt? But whether you are the participant or the facilitator, we're all learners. So being aware of those sort of, what do I need to be thinking about for my own practice? Absolutely, I need to know what my current state of knowledge is. I need to know how how far it is between my current state of knowledge and where I want to be. I need to know how am I going to get there? what are the things that are going to support me? How will I know if I'm successful? How will I know if I'm unsuccessful? And how do I link all of that new knowledge, those experiences, so they build to be something more than just individual experiences?
1: So it sounds like a journey rather than attending a training course.
0: Absolutely, it's a journey because you're trying to build skill. You're not just building knowledge. So I think that we have to consider that this is a much more Um, detailed approach than just simply top-down learning. I think top-down learning has a place. I think what it does is it often gives us impetus for change. But if we want to apply it as a skill, if we want to embed that skill into our practice, we need something that's much richer, that wraps around us.
1: Thank you, Gwyneth. So, closing comments? Uh, That
2: Elon Musk, you know, I think the, the way that he learns is about um getting a, a depth and creating context about what he's trying to get to and before he does get out to the all the little branches but you know he has a it's a pathway isn't it he starts at the bottom and works his way up and out so there's a pathway it's a journey it's not just about training
0: look i think he's on the right track it's about building core knowledge it's about making linkages with the information that we already have and with new information. Now, we might all learn in slightly different ways, but those two core principles hold true.
1: Thank you, Glennis, and thank you, Brent. And to wrap up for the audience today, While every learning journey is unique, unless you know where you're going and how you'll get there, you probably won't reach your destination. Learning to become a highly competent Learning Teams facilitator takes more than just training. It takes time, application, reflection, and refinement of practice. Whether your journey is just beginning or you're a highly competent Learning Teams facilitator, you will find immense value in participating in a community of practice to learn from others, to to share your stories and be part of something bigger thank you listeners for being part of this podcast we'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com